I have a confession to make. I had the idea to write a book for years before I finally put pen to paper and published the book. So the big question is this, how do people like me who battle doubt and insecurity push past their fears and publish a book? Well, that is the question, and this podcast is going to give you the answers. So join me as I bring you behind-the-scenes interviews and insights so that you can move forward and publish your book with boldness and courage. My name is Coach Tam, and this is Publishing Secrets. And we are back with part six of Book Publishing A to Z. It's hard to believe that we are nearing the end of this series. We have just a couple of more episodes left to wrap this series up. But if you are just joining us, make sure that you start at the very beginning. We've covered so many pieces of information in this series that are going to equip you to write and publish a book that sells and avoid the frustration and the heartache that many first-time authors experience, okay? So make sure that you plug in, that you take in all of this information and apply it. And know that we also want to support you in this journey beyond these episodes. So be sure to join us on Facebook in the Christian Authors Network Facebook group. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump in. We are picking up with the letter S today. And uh, as promised in part five, we are going to start with Something that you may have heard of if you've been getting acclimated to the book publishing industry, something called a slush pile. <laughs> now, I don't know about you. When I hear the word slush, that takes me back to winters. It didn't happen often, but winters in Virginia where we'd see that wet, slushy snow. Well, in this instance, in the book publishing field, a slush pile is a pile of unsolicited manuscripts that are sent to, depending on the person, a publisher, agent, or editor. Of course, with hopes that it will be read, that they will be thoroughly impressed, and it will open the door of opportunity for that book publishing deal. Now, back in the day, slush piles were often physical piles. Many submitted like literally put this package together, went to the post office, mailed it. And so then literally there would be imagined piles of these envelopes with manuscripts in them waiting to be reviewed. And, and that does still happen in some instances. Many still try to submit their manuscripts the good old fashioned way. But in this day and age, often it's more of a digital slush pile. Email inboxes are full of submissions. Online databases are overloaded with submissions from aspiring authors around the globe. The slush pile is really, I want you to think of it as a place where submissions are stored. So I don't want you to give it a negative or a positive connotation. Just think of it as a holding place, if you will, a holding place, right? So a lot of things go into what happens with the slush pile. So let's spend some time talking about it. The first thing that we got to think about that I, I want to talk about today is that each person that receives the manuscript, each company has a different process, right? So they have a different process and not all, not all people accept unsolicited manuscripts, 
okay? And those that do are often pretty cut and dry and they have certain requirements that they're looking for. So know that it's not as simple as just, you know, finding the name of a publisher or an agent or an editor and just submitting it. This is about how they want to run their business, right? So you've heard me say that a lot. Book publishing is a business. So think about it. They're looking for things that align with how they want to operate their business. So if, for example, they say, we don't accept unsolicited manuscripts, you can mail it, you can send the email, but chances are it's not going to be read, not because it's personal to you, but simply because that's not their process. That's not how they prefer to do business. So what's really important is that we understand whatever the pre-approved channel is to submit to a publisher, agent, or editor. Let's just, just make sure that we invest the time to figure out the established process and not to try to create our own process, right? Number two, preferences also play a role. You know, preferences in the types of books that this company wants to work with. You know, if you've been hanging out with me for a while, and even in this series, we talked about it in the letter P, it's important that businesses think about the type of client that they want to serve. Well, publishers, agents, and editors do the same thing, just like I'm encouraging you to do when you think about your book, right? So there's certain types of books, certain types of authors that they want to work with that best align with their business model and their desires. So that means that not everyone is going to have a affinity for your particular type of book. Some are interested in topics like evangelism and mission and leadership, while others are specifically looking for fiction or children's literature. Okay, so it's important to do the legwork to understand who is interested in what. And just as you have a personal mission as an author that you want to accomplish, remember that these companies, agents, editors, they have a mission for what they want to accomplish as well. So don't waste time trying to put a square into a round hole. Next, I want to talk about systems, right? So some agents, editors, publishers read through their submissions on a daily basis. Sometimes the system is weekly. It could be monthly. Everyone has a different process. It could be quarterly or even annually, right? So just because you haven't heard back, I think one thing to take away from this doesn't mean necessarily that it hasn't been read. It doesn't guarantee that it has, but it may be just that they have a different process than you may be expecting in terms of systems, how long it takes for them to work through the manuscripts that are received. And then the last thing that I wanted to cover here are goals and capacity, so one of the things that the more I got into this industry and started to really understand how it works, there's different types of publishers and agents and editors work with different types of publishing houses, right? And just as there are, you know, startup businesses, you know, small businesses that have been in operation for a while and big, you know, mainstream corporations that earn, you know, millions or billions of dollars, that same thing happens within the publishing industry, right? So there are some publishers that may decide that they are looking to publish 30 titles a year because that works for where they are in business and what they want, right? They may not even desire to be that big, humongous publishing house. Whereas others may publish over 100 titles per year, right? So of course the process is going to look a little different depending upon where you are applying. And that too can play a big role in how long it takes you to hear back, 
Okay, so the bottom line that I want you to take away from this is slush pile. Let's not give it a status of negative or positive. It's just a holding place. And it's important that we invest the time and energy to do the work before we submit. Right. So the last thing that I want for you is to invest all this time, your hopes and dreams, even more importantly, into submitting a manuscript that doesn't get read. Right. So stop, research and follow the established process to the T. Now, quick soapbox moment here. I've talked to so many Christian authors that want there to be exceptions to the rule because it's a Christian market. But guys, I need you to understand this is still a business and businesses do need to have established protocols. If we didn't, we'd be out of business. Right. So even within the spiritual church realm, we've got to do things in decency and in order. And that's all that these publishers, agents, editors are trying to do. They're trying to operate within decency and order and make sure that their businesses run effectively, which means that they do need to have structure and systems. So instead of knocking the process, I want to encourage you to respect the process. Now, one of the things that's going to help you do that and make that so much easier, I want to encourage you to go out, head on over to Amazon or whatever your marketplace of choice is. And I want you to grab a copy of the Christian Writers Market Guide. It's over 500 pages that details the different publishers, from big publishers to smaller publishing houses to companies that offer publishing assistance, as we do. It gives you Tons and tons of information. And what's great about that book is it details what each publisher is looking for, right? So it talks about what their capacity is, how many titles they print per year, what types of manuscripts they're looking for, what that submission process looks like. All of it is covered right there for you in the Christian Writer's Market Guide, right? So remember, it's not just about the physical aspect here of writing the book, or in this day and age, right, sitting at our keyboard or on our tablet and typing the book. You've got to make sure that you follow all the steps that we've talked about, all the items that you're thinking about, all of these things, and making sure, first of all, that it's a book that others want to read, not just something that is inspiring to you and your family and friends, but something that others want to read, and then make sure that you follow the established process. All right, so let's move on in our journey and talk about our second term for today, which is a small press or a independent press. So in comparison to some of the big names that many aspiring authors know and love, like HarperCollins and Penguin Random House that publish books that reel in billions of dollars, A small press operates, as you would imagine by the name, at a much smaller scale. But there's also some benefits, even though they may not have some of the name recognition as some of the traditional publishing houses, which we'll talk about in part seven, they're still a very worthy contender within the publishing space. And I would argue should still be considered as an option if your goal is to get your message out there. Why might you want to consider a small press, which by the way, are also featured in that Christian writer's market guide? Well, of course, since they are smaller, they tend to be more nimble, just like small businesses. You know, they essentially are a small business. 
Um, so they tend to be a little bit more nimble, uh, willing to take more chances on someone that doesn't have an established reputation, maybe more willing to bet on a book that some of the bigger publishing houses would not be willing to bet on. And it's, it's often the case when you know you're working with one of your local business favorites is you have great relationships with them. You may even, you know, provide feedback, you know, and, and see that it's applied pretty quickly, right? So you tend to have more of an opportunity to shape the direction of your project and maybe even the business. So there's a very strong connection often between you and the people that are working on your project, which can create a better working experience. So it's, it's something to definitely consider. Now, on the, the side of caution in terms of what to think about, uh, of course, because they are a smaller publishing house, then you've got to manage your expectations in terms of what that experience is going to be like, right? So they, they are not going to have the same budget around your book. So even though, and, and you can talk to many agents and, and publishers and editors, right? We'll talk about this in part seven. And there's additional publishing space for big houses. You still play a very big role in the marketing piece of it. You're going to hear me say this a lot. Books don't sell themselves. Authors sell books. So even if you work with one of those big names, you can expect to be involved, heavily involved in that process. I would say in comparison though, I would say even more so because again, there's a smaller budget just because of the size and structure of that organization. You're also going to want to, you know, do your due diligence, right? Because some of those bigger names, you know, we know about their reputation and their history. It's, it's very easy to kind of vet those publishers as options Whereas in comparison with some of the smaller presses, you may have to do a little bit more legwork to actually make sure that you have a comfort level in moving forward. And then the last thing that I would say is, you know, based on what I've heard, you know, in terms of advances, it's going to be even smaller than a traditional publishing house. And we'll talk about that, but, you know, advances are, are something that are talked about a lot. I, I don't think that they're as big as, you know, we often believe for those of us that have that dream of landing that big publishing house deal. But in any event, it is something, it's an accomplishment and it's still an accomplishment with a small press. Just set your expectation that if you were to compare those, you know, offers side by side, that you're going to see a lower number for that small press, but by the same token, look, look at the wind, you know, you're getting to get your book out there. You have a team that is working with you to get your book published. They're putting up the money to actually go through the editing process and all of that good stuff to get your cover done. So those are benefits. Those are wins. So I'd encourage you to at least consider it as an option, as well as of course, we've talked about self-publishing. All right, let's move on to our next topic, which is the table of contents. So the table of contents is something you're probably very familiar with, right? So probably just about all the books that are in your personal library have a table of contents. And I just want to, to make sure that as you're thinking about your project, that you don't overlook the table of contents 
important. Okay. So, you know, when we're working on our own project, I think it's very easy to get caught up in, you know, the message that we want to get across, the content that we're writing. And sometimes some of the finer details like this can get overlooked. But this detail is really important because I want you to start thinking about the table of contents as a roadmap for your reader, a roadmap for your reader. Think about it. When you open a book, don't you often look at the table of contents to see both what is contained within that book and where you might want to read, right? So even if, I remember back in the day when I used to hang out in Barnes and Noble, for a whole Saturday, <laughs> as I was looking at books, I would often, of course, look at the back cover, but then look at the table of contents and kind of scan it, looking for something that caught my attention. And if I was in the process of evaluating a book, I might go to a particular chapter based on what I saw in the table of contents to assess whether this was going to be something that I was going to have a seat and read for a few minutes or if I was going to buy it. So this kind of goes back to that age old statement. You only have a few seconds to make a good first impression. Having a table of contents, first of all, is key for your book appearing professional to the reader. Without one, I think it causes there to be some doubt about, you know, what is this book and what is it about? So if you go that self-publishing route, please do not overlook the importance of a table of contents. And I only call out self-publishing here because if you're going with a traditional publishing house or a small press, even if you forget it, someone's gonna you know, call it out to your attention. Hey, make sure you get this table of contents done. We need this. When you are self-publishing, remember that you are in charge of that process. And so unless you bring the dream team together, okay? So unless you bring the editors, the book cover design folks, the formatting folks together, it can be easy to miss these pieces. And some, some outfits, even though they may offer self-publishing services to assist you, will publish what you give them, right? We don't do that, by the way. <laughs> we wanna make sure that you write something that's actually gonna be set up to sell, right? But some author services companies will truly publish what you give them. So please heed this word of caution and even if you don't think it's important, invest the time to create a table of contents. Now, the only exception to this that I would give is if you are writing a novel, then table of contents probably doesn't make sense just because of the type of book it is, right? But if you are doing nonfiction or you're doing a collection of work like short stories or poetry, absolutely, positively do a table of contents. Make it easy for the reader to figure out where they need to go next. It also, you know, when you think about how things are even phrased in the table of contents, it gives you a feel for the author's personality. You know, are they pretty, you know, kind of straight lay, straight to the point? Is it all like professional names or is there a story even in the name of the chapters in the table of contents? And sometimes that can be a little fun and intriguing to explore. But also think about, you know, down the road, because our goal is to create buzz. And that's what we want to help you do, create buzz with your book. Can you imagine, you know, everyone being at a book club and they want to talk about your book and there are there is no table of contents? Yeah, you could give page numbers, but wouldn't it be even better to be able to say, hey, let's go to this section or everybody make sure that you read chapter XYZ that starts on page XYZ. And we're reading from 
chapter three through chapter five, right? It just makes it easier to get everybody on the same page. It makes it easy to discuss. So please, 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 please heed me and make sure if you're nonfiction or it's a collection of items like poetry or short stories, make sure you include a table of contents. All right, family, we're almost done for this episode. Let's journey on to our last topic, which is territories. Now, territories, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about, you know, the contracts and the agreements that you would enter into if you were going the traditional publishing route. But it also is something for us to consider just overall with our work. Even when you upload a book on Amazon, for example, you are asked about what territories you want your book to be distributed in through them. So where book rights are concerned, you can license and own rights in different countries. So that's something that even we talked about this, that you want to look for if you're doing a a traditional publishing deal, whether it's a big house or a small press, you want to understand what territories are included in that deal. Sometimes you are, you know, giving, you know, the United States, but you still have rights to Canada, for example, I'm just throwing a name out there, right? So it actually can be broken down in terms of what you have rights to versus what the publishing house has rights to. Some publishers are going to be looking for worldwide rights. And sometimes you're able to negotiate a much more specific deal to be able to even maybe retain some of those rights when it makes sense so that you may be able to have more control in those areas, right? So definitely make sure that you're paying attention to that if you are doing a traditional publishing deal. And then as you explore the self-publishing process, just make sure that you're paying attention to what you're clicking. So for example, with KDP, you can choose to sell your book through KDP's expanded distribution which if you check out their site, it talks about being able to get your book in front of booksellers, bookstores, libraries, and academic institutions. So kind of giving you that play outside of the consumer that goes online and is looking specifically for a book. I've got to be honest, based on everything that I've heard and everyone that I've talked to, I'm not sure that expanded distribution is your best bet as an aspiring author. I think it'll give you an edge with Amazon, right? So kind of like social media, right? When you use the preferred methods, your performance or your exposure within that social media platform tends to improve. So yes, I think it works to your favor in terms of playing on Amazon. But everything that I've heard and seen, every conversation that I've had, The name that comes to mind, and we talked about this a little bit earlier in the series, the name that comes to mind and is talked about most when we talk about those outlets is not Amazon KDP, but Ingram Spark. Okay. So I'd highly encourage you to consider exploring how you can leverage both platforms to get your book out there. Ingram Spark allows you to make your book available in bookstores, libraries, et cetera. And listen, here's the big thing. These outlets are used to working with Ingram Spark, right? This is a part of their normal purchasing process, right? So which would you rather do? Go with something that's kind of your normal established regular process or do something that feels hard 
right? Yeah, most of us are not going to raise our hand to do something hard, right? We would take the path of least resistance and Ingram Spark is that path of least resistance. The other thing that makes Ingram Spark a worthy contender in that space is, you know, they allow your books to be returnable. We talked about that earlier in the series, which is a major consideration for bookstores as to whether or not they want to carry the book. So you want to think through, you know, kind of where you license your book, how you license your book, how you distribute the book. So many nuggets within this book publishing A to Z series. I pray that it has been a blessing to you and we are going to keep the party going. So we're almost done with our series. Join us for part seven, where we're going to get into the traditional publishing space in more detail. I'll also include in there a little bit about how to get that publishing deal that you're looking for. What are some of the things that you need in order to make it happen? We'll also talk about trim size and we'll talk about how that impacts the publishing process. We'll take a look at wholesalers and unit costs. We'll see you in part seven. God bless. Well, I hope that you have enjoyed this week's episode of Publishing Secrets, where our mission is to inspire you to write, publish, and profit in a way that honors God. If this episode has been a blessing to you, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, then rate and review. And if you want support in your journey, whether you are a current author or an aspiring author, then join us on Facebook in the Christian Authors Network. Wherever you are in your journey, we have the best next step for you. So join us there and get the support that you need to make the impact that you have been called to make. Until next time, God bless.